Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Micah, and I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church, and I'm here not with Sarah today, but instead <laughs> with uh, Mark. And Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Sunday morning, Mark's going to be preaching for us, and uh, we figured we'd sit down and do a little recording, give you an idea of uh, what we're working through this Sunday at church. So, Mark, tell us a little, a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Micah. Um, I am a father of four, and I work here in the Tri-Cities with a nonprofit organization called Flourish Mid-Columbia, um, trying to help people integrate faith and work and uh, think through what uh, what their work might have to do with God's call in their life and why it matters to Him. Um, I specifically in that organization work with young adults. I also teach a little bit over in Kennewick at uh, Gather for Him Christian College and raise kids, four kids in my spare time and... Uh, Sounds so, awesome. Yeah, well, fun. thanks for being willing to do this. Mark is one of my uh, scholarly friends that I lean upon uh, when I'm when I'm working through things, and so I appreciate you being willing to do this with us also. Okay, let's get to know Mark just a little bit better, and this is not entirely random. It does have to do with the message of the day, <laughs> but okay. So uh, let's play just a little bit of this or that. So uh, burgers or hot dogs? Burger. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, breakfast or dinner? What are we having? Uh... <laughs> Breakfast. This is, okay, nope, that's the wrong answer. Dinner is the right answer. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Dog, every time. Okay. You know that because you have a dog. Yes. Husky or cougar? Uh, I'm from the west side, so this is going to be unpopular, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say husky. Yeah, you can tune out now. Yeah. He, he's done. <laughs> yeah. right? All right. Uh, paperback books or e-reader? Uh, paperback. I, yeah. I can't get away from them. That's probably right, but I do almost everything electronic now. I know. I like the space saving, but but I also like to hold the thing. Okay, so it. what in the world does that have to do with the actual topic for the day? Well, let's go back to Huskies and Cougars, right? Right. Where do we sit in the stadium? You know, we're going to sit with the fans in our section, and we're going to yell across the stadium at the fans from the other side because it's just kind of natural for people to form groups mm -hmm. around um, – common interests, like-minded people. Uh, we just gather around those things, people we feel comfortable with, um, who think like us, who maybe share our socioeconomic level or ethnicity or religious belief. I mean, we don't go to church with, um, you know, the, the Muslims or the Mormons down the street. We come here because we think the same. Hmm. Um, and I think just, you know, as a human reality, diversity probably is, is, uh, Probably just happens not by accident, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, there is safety in being amongst like people, but it can also be toxic or, or dangerous in nature, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think it's a problem necessarily that we associate with people like us or even that we define ourselves in these groups. But I think when, um, you know, when conflict happens or when circumstances create fear, um, then we tend to isolate. We tend to turn into our groups and we start drawing lines and we start dividing, uh, defining who's in and out. And then uh, we look differently at maybe people in other groups. Like m maybe it's not just a friendly uh, crosstown rivalry of football, but um, you know, there's a lot of issues that, that are that where the stakes are higher, mm -hmm. you know, on, in an election year, you 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 see the polarization we and and it's carried on 
now for us after 2020, um, you know, when there's a definitive Supreme Court case or when people are seeking, you know, refugees are seeking asylum or when terrorists attack or when a black man gets killed by a white police officer, like the, the lines are drawn and the polarization happens. And now all of a sudden we're not just different, but we're, we're enemies. Um, and I think that's a function partly of the fact that when we're afraid, we seek security and clarity within these, within these groups. And, um, and then we eventually come to define difference as error and we define the other as the enemy. Hmm. And, and we, again, as, as an attempt to feel secure, I think as part of it, we, we, def, we proclaim our perspective as truth and the others as lies. And we, uh, we are righteous and they are, you know, villains and, and essentially we stop listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stopped having a conversation and now it's, it's just mudslinging and slander. And, um, you know, we're not really looking for a lot of, t- I just caricature probably, but I think when we get insulated and isolated, we, we really stop looking for truth and we start looking for things to validate mm-hmm. and, and we can end up pretty quickly in an, in an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I mean, it ring, it, we see this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all around us. And, um, our moment is, is a time when we so desperately need like to see others for who they are and to listen. Um, but we're just being marked by disrespect and division and, um, you know, and I don't think any of us, if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, I can't say that I'm immune from that. No. You know, when we started church planting, um, years ago, uh, some of the language we adopted early was uh, of diversity. And that uh, diversity runs a- along a lot of different lines uh, as we consider what could church look like. Uh, there's some of the more obvious ones like uh, racial diversity, ethnicity, uh, but um, in uh, thought process, yeah. you know, belief, diversity and belief or diversity in socioeconomics. Um, and, and, you know, we found uh, God has been so gracious in the diversity department in our church, uh, but diversity isn't always easy. No. Um, the reality is, is where differences exist, uh, there are tensions uh, or even challenges that have to be worked through to continue to live mm-hmm. in that diversity. So I can really relate to what you're saying. It's quite easy and maybe even human nature to other people or consider them the enemy. Um, yet it's not the way of Jesus. Right. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, I guess. Yeah, I think it certainly it takes perseverance. Uh, and, and it takes a lot of humility and a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the way of Jesus is the way of wisdom and he's wisdom incarnate. So I think he's the place to look mm-hmm. uh, for how do we navigate these times? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've been in a series on the way of Jesus and exploring the confluence of his teachings and his lifestyle, right? The things that he did to live out the things that he taught. And so today uh, we're going to talk about uh, loving your enemy, right? Yeah. And man, if if you were around last week and you heard the message on forgiveness, you know, this is this is not easy stuff that Jesus is calling us to Um like we're saying, you know, this, this kind of cuts across the grain of, of our 
natural inclinations um, and enemy love is no different. So, um, but I think we'll see that there really is wisdom in it as we explore this yeah. text in Jesus' life. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, and th- this is kind of a cool thing because it's actually um, a passage about uh, keeping revenge like in boundaries. Yeah. Um, but it really does speak to kind of the way of the world. like. If you take something from me, I'm going to take it back. And the point was, don't take any more, you know, don't let it escalate. Okay. So Jesus will go on to kind of redefine a a higher standard and expectation as he does throughout this section in Matthew. Um, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, that that sounds really hard, but but it is the higher way. It's the better way. Um, what Jesus is trying to show us is the way that we can, instead of let evil escalate, we can absorb it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, at first reading, it could seem weak to be the one who says, you know, I'm not going to fight back. Because so often, you know, that's what our culture tells us, you know, stand up for yourself. But, um, but actually, if, uh, as long as the, the oppressor, like, has any sense of right and wrong, non-retaliation actually has an incredible power. Sure. Um, to diffuse conflict. Because it, it just stops it in its tracks. Like, you mean you're not going to hit me back, you know? Uh, or you're in an argument with, you know, and you just don't, you don't go there. Don't escalate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this works not only between individuals, but even on a large scale, this was actually the strategy of the civil rights movement. You know, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was a student of Jesus and, um, his nonviolent resistance was all about this. Like we're going to we're, we're it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a non-response, but it's a non-violent response. Mm. And it's, it is resistance because what happened in, in the civil rights movement was um, you actually begin to see the, the brutality and the injustice of the system yes. when the, the victimhood of the victims becomes, it's, it's right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, but, but the fact that they're not fighting back, um, just shows how brutal it is. And quite often that victim can be vilified if they react. Absolutely. In like ways. Um, so that, that way, that passive way uh, of Jesus that we saw in the civil rights movement, um, it, it does, it, it's stark. It's seen, yeah. it's yeah. noticed yeah. in the world. Okay, so Jesus continues, verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So again, this is kind of normal. This is the way we humans do things. Um, but Jesus wants to show us a better way. Right. He escalates to, uh, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so now that sounds really good on the page or in a sermon, like we're sitting right here, here on the table. But, um, you know, this is, um, w- when you put a face or a name or an actual enemy to this, 
um, it becomes really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's remember that love in scripture, you know, for Jesus, love means to seek the good of the other, mm-hmm. even at a cost to yourself. Um, so, you know, if we fill in the blank, even at an impersonal level, love the terrorists, you know, love the governor who imposes a mask mandate that you think is crazy <laughs> or love the anti-masker or the anti-vaxxer you think is unwise and uncautious. Mm. Um, love the president you think is a belligerent buffoon or the one you think is, is, you know, a communist puppet. Um, mm. Love the white people you perceive as privileged oppressors. Love the, the rioter you perceive as a threat to the social order. Man, you are poking the bear right I'm now. sorry. But you're doing a great job yeah. because you're highlighting both sides and the ways we have polarized yeah. on these subjects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know, love the homeless person. And if you, if, if you live in a city like Seattle or Portland and they're disturbing the peace, but you know what? They're people. Yeah. Um, love the parent who can't understand you, you know, getting a little closer to home or the child who, who resists, you know, yeah. your care. Um, so, you know, I could go on and you could go on. Um, but, but the point is clear that, that this isn't easy when, um, when it becomes personal and left to ourselves, it's actually impossible. Hmm. Um, because humans don't do this. Uh, and that's why the basis of Jesus' command that he goes on to talk about becomes so crucial. Okay, so he says, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. And now verse 45, he says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah, so no matter which camp we think we're in, evil or good, righteous or unrighteous, and you know we all know where we're prone to put ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um the the fact is you've been loved by God. Mm. Um, the most basic gifts uh, that God provides, you know, rain, uh, sun, which remember in that world means food in our world. It does too. We just, we just don't see the connection quite as clearly. Yeah. Um, so these basic needs, you know, it's our father in heaven who gives um, these good and generous gifts and he, and he doesn't discriminate. Uh, he gives them to his friends and his enemies, to the wicked and the good. Good. Okay, so Jesus continues, If you love those that love you, what reward will you get? Uh, are not even uh, the, the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any other person? Do not even the pagans live in that way. Yeah, so here again is where like Jesus is taking us beyond kind of common human decency. Um we all, it's easy to love people who like us or that we like. Um, and no one's really surprised by that. Um, but when, when we can step across the line or the aisle and love people who don't share our views and take our side, um, that's unusual. And, and that's, that's the godlike thing to do. That's, that's where it's, you know, you will become children of your father. Like you'll begin to act like your heavenly mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. And he then kind of concludes with that, um, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah. Talk about raising the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he is, uh, but I think yeah. in a little bit different way than maybe we typically um, I agree. 
we typically read when we or understand when we read this passage because that word perfect uh, is kind of tricky and I've come to believe that it's not the best translation uh, yep. it, it, because perfect in a, in a text like the Sermon on the Mount has this connotation of like moral impeccability right and um, the one who loves their enemies surely they've reached a high level of moral character right but but I'm not sure that's really the point uh, mm-hmm. of the word. The Greek behind perfect is, is the word teleos. And it, it sometimes is translated complete or mature. Yep. But the idea is that a, something that's teleos fulfills the purpose for which it was made. Mm-hmm. And so it's related to the word telos, which, which means like the end or goal. And so the thing that's teleos has achieved its telos. Right. Yep. Um, and it's the same word Jesus' brother James uses when he encourages people like to endure struggle. He says, let your perseverance do its maturing work so that you may be teleos, that you may fulfill your purpose and become whole, not lacking anything. Um, so I think that Jesus is not saying reach this bar, this moral bar of you never sin anymore or you know, you're morally flawless. But he's saying, grow up and fulfill the reason for your being. Yes. Um, and and that, I mean, it takes a lot of growing, right, to, to do what he's saying. But but I think it makes it, um, I mean, it's still daunting, but I think it's it seems possible when you put it in those terms. Because, you know, we always say we'll never be perfect, but but we can grow toward our purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And And I think that's possible because... Um, we are united with him. Yeah. Um, Jesus is the paradigm of a mature human being, of a perfect, of a teleos human mm-hmm. being. Um, and, and he lived the life we were created to live. And and he he draws us into his life and into himself and allows us to grow in him. Yeah. Right. To, to be united with him. And, and Paul talks about how we, we mature until we reach the full measure of the stature of Christ. Right. And, um, so we can share in his own faithfulness in his life of love. Um, and this is good news because like we said, you know, left on our own, it's not going to happen. Okay. So Jesus says, grow up mature in yeah. your faith and in your life. And a part of that will be not just treating kind people kindly, but uh, part of that is going to be learning to love your enemies. Now, throughout the series, we've been exploring both the things he teaches about, yeah. uh, but also the ways that he lives these things out. So let's look a little bit at the life of Jesus and how he demonstrates his posture of loving even our enemies. Yeah. So if you were to keep reading beyond the Sermon on the Mount, just four or five verses later in, in narrative time, uh, Matthew tells the story of Jesus encountering this Roman officer. And the guy, like, comes and, and just pleads with him, heal my son, mm-hmm. right? And the thing to know is that Jews and Romans were not friends, yeah. right? Romans were the occupying army in Israel, or the occupying force, empire in Israel at that time. And they basically uh, kept their empire in peace by the power of the sword. It was kind of a paradox, but yeah, know, that's the way it happens in the world. Um, and so Jesus, th- this guy you know, the people around Jesus could say, he's your enemy. Um, and the surprise is how Jesus responds to his plea. He says, 
Yeah, I'll come and heal. Yeah. Um, and so he he wasn't constrained by the circles that his society drew about who we are and who they are and who's good and bad and who's enemy and who's friend. Yeah. He blesses his enemy and he's actually going to go on to critique uh, his own people for their desire to fight their enemies. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they're not they're not living in his way, um, which but that but even that critique, um, you know, you could say that the Jewish leaders who oppose Jesus are his enemies. Um, but his his critique and his pushback to them is filled with compassion and is surrounded by this invitation to repent. Um, the Jewish leaders, you know, they misunderstand, they oppose him and he doesn't just call down curses on them. You know, like one of his disciples wants to one day, Mm -hmm. um, he, he warns them, you know, judgment is coming. He plays the role of the prophet and he calls them, uh, to return to God. Um, and then when things escalate and they even accuse him of like being empowered by Satan, you know, he doesn't just fight back or backlash. He reasons mm-hmm. and he says, you know, think about it. that doesn't even make sense. Like, why would Satan fight against Satan? The house divided can't stand. And then he goes on and, and says, hey, look at what I'm doing, you know, and uh, see, see the evidence that God is working in me and stop opposing me and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Uh, you know, he's inviting to come to my side. Uh, let's find a place where we can, we can, um, work together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course they don't. And the conflicts intensifies even more and they are soon plotting to kill Jesus. Um, and, and he knows this, but, but he never stops warning them. You know, he, the parables are really interesting because they're stories that sort of get in the back door and try to explain, in a, in a disarming way, here's what's going on between us. And, and, um, you know, you're being unfaithful and stubborn and, and I want you to repent. Like he tells the story of these vineyard tenants who, uh, you know, they're the master sends the servants, right. And, mm-hmm. and they, they mistreat them. And then he sends his son and they're, they're plotting to kill him. And what Jesus is trying to do is say, look, this is what's going on right here. And you're in the position of the bad guys. And, it's a wake up call, but, but they experienced, you know, as just, uh, another impetus to, to speed up the plot. Right. And get him killed. Right. Um, and then shortly after that in Matthew 23, you know, Jesus does, he doesn't shy away from telling the truth about his opponents. Um, he throws down some pretty harsh indictments and speaks some piercing truth, but, I think the way that that chapter ends um, needs to help us interpret Jesus' tone of voice through the whole thing. Um, he, he, he lays down all these woes, and then he says, basically, you know, God's judgment is going to fall on this very generation because of their impurity and violence. But then what we get in most translations is a, is a, a subheading. Mm-hmm. And then two more, two or three more verses of Jesus talking. Okay. And, and so we think that those are sort of disconnected, but it's at the, the quotation doesn't end. Right. It's, you know? And so go ahead and read for us what Jesus, how Jesus ends this 
chapter okay. of critique. So Matthew twenty three thirty seven, um, and and I hear him just crying out in agony, almost like this voice of hurt. Why is it this way? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. So you you hear Jesus' heart, like he wants mm-hmm. these people to turn to him, to love him, to turn to God, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the image he uses as of a mother hen, like bringing her brood of little chicks under her wings in a, in a fire. Mm. And the, what happens is the fire comes through and the, the mother gets burned, but all the chicks survive. Mm. And he's, so he's basically saying, I want to lay down my life for you. Yeah. And he will go on to do that. Um, but, but that's the heart behind these words. Um, yeah. So speaking of laying down his life, yeah. I think one of the ultimate acts of Jesus demonstrating his posture towards the other or the yeah. enemy yeah. Uh, is in that very act. Yeah. It's on the cross where Jesus loves his enemies to the end. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Jewish and Roman authorities are, are conspiring together to convict him on trumped up charges. Mm-hmm. Um, he's clearly innocent, but yet, Pilate, the Roman governor, caves to the will of the mob and hands him over to be crucified. And Matthew tells us then the soldiers they strip his clothes off and they and they dress him up like a, a king, right? right? Because this is what his, his claim was. And they put a robe on him and they put a crown of thorns and they give him this reed, which is kind of like a weak branch, you know, to be his scepter. And they mockingly hail him as king completely oblivious to the fact that he, this is, in fact, his coronation, right? Um, yeah. and, and he will be enthroned amidst their mocking and their scoffing, uh, you know, of these enemies. So, and then, then he's walking from his, the place where this happens out to the place of his death, and he's still thinking of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, th- he says to the crowd, you know, don't weep for me, weep for your children. Because they're gonna, they're gonna despair of life when Jerusalem is destroyed. Yeah, and then, then he's nailed on the cross. He's hanging there, praying for his murderers. Mm-hmm. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Um, and while he hung there, you know, the commoners, the priests, the religious leaders, everyone, the whole from top to bottom of society, is mocking him. You know, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let him, let him, why didn't he come down from the cross? Come on. You know, uh, God, God, he trusted in God. Maybe God will save him. Uh, let God rescue him. But, but what they don't know, because they can't comprehend this way of God's love of his enemies and the power mm-hmm. of self-giving love, was that God was with him. And this was, in fact, God's victory. Um, and he would enter, Jesus, the son, would enter this great cyclone of evil and conquer it by absorbing it. Mm. So instead of fighting his enemies, he would love them. And by his love, he would conquer their hate and save them. So what then are the implications of this? Uh, We've looked at both the teachings of Jesus and the ways he demonstrates love for enemies. Um, what does it look like in our lives? What, what do we take from it, and how do we live into this way of Jesus? Yeah, I think one of the main things that we can 
that we can consider is the way that Jesus viewed his enemies. Okay. Right. Um, he, again, he has compassion on them. He warns them. He calls them to repent. Uh, but he actually, I don't think he actually even views them as the real enemy. This is interesting. And I want to pause just really briefly before you finish this up, because I've been uncomfortable through some of these readings about using the term enemy for these people. I'm, I kind of find myself questioning, do we have to define them as enemies? And I think he's speaking the common language that people would think and use for these people. Sure. But ultimately, are they our enemies? They're opposing Jesus for sure. Yeah. But but I think he's not an enemy to them. Right. You know, And I think he sees them not as enemies, but as actual victims of the true enemy. Mm. Um, he, he understands what Paul would later write. You know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers and the, and the forces of evil mm-hmm. in the heavenly realms. And he, he saw people that were duped and enslaved by those powers being used and abused and misused. And um, they're not innocent by any means, but they are victims. Um, wow. because they're slaves of sin. We are slaves of sin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're, we're controlled by these spiritual forces, um, that blind us and, uh, hold us in their grip. And so, um, th- those are the enemies that Jesus came to defeat mm-hmm. for the sake of the people who were, who were enslaved by them. And it's so easy in our lives to see someone who thinks or acts differently, maybe inappropriately, mm-hmm. and to just be resentful or mm-hmm. angry or disgusted by these people. And we're placing the blame and the onus of the problem on an individual yeah. whom we're looking in the eyes. Whereas you're saying Jesus uh, doesn't perceive them as their enemy, but instead another person that has been beat up by or the victim of the true evil one and the true enemy that's Satan. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to say, like, again, they're not innocent. They they it's, were doomed. They killed him. It was unjust. There was evil that took place. But, um, you know, this is where God has compassion on evildoers, you know, and because um, he recognizes that it's a combination. It's, it's, there are forces that oppose us and there are forces within us that cause us to do the wrong thing. But, but he loves us behind all that and beneath all that. That's excellent. So this is the way of Jesus. Um, it is the way of uh, love and even love for our enemies. It redefines the way that we see people. Um, it invites us into the story of what God has done and is doing in this world. Yeah, and I think it also re- redefines or can redefine how we see God. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Jesus is the embodiment of God in the flesh, right? And there's there's this uh, notion that goes around a lot in, in church that, you know, God was kind of mean back in the Old Testament, right. and then Jesus turned up and he's nice and gracious. Uh, but, but God has been they're one and the same and, and God has been gracious all the way through. Um, and Jesus, 
you know, John Golgi talks about how Jesus is just the logical culmination of the way that God has been dealing with his people all the way along. Mm. And if, if you read the, you know, the story of God in Israel carefully, it's all over, mm-hmm. you know, patience, warning, compassion. I want you back, return and, and repent. You know, it's, it's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, you know, Paul says that, uh, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Yeah. And it's not that he was our enemy, but that we had made ourselves enemies of him. And, uh, um, and that's how he responds. Yeah. And so as followers of Jesus, we're invited to live likewise, right? Yeah. Um, that we learn to love, learn to see people and situations through Jesus' eyes and, and engage in the forgiving and loving ways that he did in the lives of people. Yeah, and I think, you know, it has the potential to have incredible power uh, at a moment like ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a testimony we could be if if we could even begin to figure this out, I mean, if, if we could just even learn to listen across the lines yes. and have a conversation, uh, let alone go the second mile or turn the other cheek in, in, in the midst of an actual conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what a, what a wonder that would be for the witness of the church. Absolutely. Well, with that, let me, uh, let me pray and close this up. And God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time. Um, that we get to explore your word. Uh, God, thank you for your uh, love, uh, even when we were far off, even when we were enemies. Uh, and God, help us to live like Jesus lived, uh, that we would uh, see people, situations, things differently uh, through your lens, God. And in so seeing the world differently, God, that we could live lives of love, even in the midst of conflict or enemies or hurt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That would be.